We are thankful, Father, uh, first of all, for all things. And uh, we know that you're the one who is sovereign. We are your children, and we are in the center of your working, your plan, your plan of redemption, and the manifestation of grace uh, in this dark world through us, uh, that many might uh, hear the precious word of the gospel, that they might believe and be saved. Thank you that we are lights in the world, Father, and that uh, uh, you're working all things together for our good. Your love will never be taken from us, therefore. And uh, you gave your only son for our sake, and surely uh, that means everything. And so, Father, I'm thankful that you, you care well for all of us, and uh, whatever our circumstances may be, we are learning day by day that your grace is always sufficient in that situation, Father. Father, I pray concerning the restrictions that have been imposed upon us by governmental authorities, sometimes going far beyond the bounds of reason. And uh, for political purposes, political opportunity, Father, politicizing this great health crisis, Father, and uh, taking advantage of it. Father, I pray that you would give your people wisdom regarding that, that they might still live honorable lives, even in the midst of this great challenge, and that they would have wisdom in how to respond to the overreach of authorities without doing so, Father, lawlessly and uh, in abandon and without self-control. Father, I pray for our nation that's in the clutches of, of the evil one, or so it seems to us, with limited insight. Father, I pray that you would be guide and lead those that uh, have responsibilities over uh, all of our people, over our states and the federal government and our local governments. I pray for our president, Father, that you give him wisdom beyond his abilities and years. I pray that you would guide and lead there and with those that serve with him. As we have been praying, Father, crying out to you for, for so long now. And I pray, Father, that our nation would itself be transformed from within by um, believers and also unbelievers, Father, that you choose to use for your purpose. Father, we know that you do that. And so I pray, Father, that you would bring back stability and calm in our land, that uh, our people would respond against the violence and the perpetrators of that, against the rebellion, against uh, uh, self-serving political interests that harm our country, harm our people, and harm our future. And I pray, Father, that you'd deliver us from the evil one. Father, thank you for opportunity now to open your word together. And it's a precious word indeed. I thank you, Father, for for it, and I pray that you'd write it upon our hearts this morning, as always, in Christ's name, and amen. Well, we continue. We have some special scripture in front of us today, and it's special in a lot of ways. 
and I pray that as we look into it, you'll be blessed the way I have been in preparing for this morning's uh, teaching. Just uh, for review a little, though, our subject overall is, uh, it's similar to last time, but and Paul goes on in the letter a bit, but the overall subject is uh, authority in, in churches. And uh, so today, our focus will be on giving respect to authority where authority is due. Last time we opened up chapter two of 1 Timothy, and there we saw the apostle exhorting that prayers be done appropriately. Um, certainly that's always the case. They should be done appropriately uh, in our private prayers, also in the public prayers. And public prayers are especially difficult um, in a lot of ways, not only for the one praying, <laughs> but for those uh, listening in and participating in those prayers. So he says here, and exhorts pretty strongly that uh, prayer be made properly. And certainly also for those in positions of great uh, influence in the nation. So he says for kings even. He doesn't say for Christian kings. He just says kings in general, right? For all that are in authority. <laughs> for good or ill, whatever their purpose may be, that God may intersect and uh, enable our people to live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Uh, and then he says, why? It has to do with our ministry. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And I pointed out that um, where it says it is the will of God that all men be saved, there's a difference between determinative will and desirous will in Scripture. There are different Greek words for these as well. I didn't really get into that. didn't think it was important, but... In this particular place, he's, he's uh, writing about the desire of God, right? Certainly, it's a desirous will of God that all will be saved. In fact, that was proven in the cross, right? Christ died for the sins of the world. So um, God's desire is that all might be saved. And as he says here, to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Well, uh, Satan is the prince of this world. He doesn't want uh, us to know the truth, certainly not the truth of God. And so Satan is working to conflict with this great work of God. It's no wonder that the governments uh, are so evil in many cases and oppression and uh, uh, the death of millions is the consequence. In the last hundred years, how many have died at the hand of tyrants, right? 
many, many million, somewhere between 50 and 100 million there. Of course, how many have died, uh, you know, through abortion? Probably at least the same number. But uh, that's the work of Satan. He is the liar from the beginning and a murderer from the beginning. Adam and Eve learned that uh, with their own children. So we're going to look into that a little bit more, at least to uh, what Genesis says in, in a bit this morning. But uh, just by review here, we see that uh, God uh, wants us to be fruitful in ministry. And therefore, he says, pray for those who rule. <clears throat> so even if you have a Caesar, uh, a Nero, or something of the sort, we're still to pray. And Paul did, even for Nero. Okay, he also there in those next verses in chapter 2, he makes a grand theological statement. Actually, there's so much theology. This is high teaching indeed here in this letter. The faithful sayings communicated, and this is uh, one of those uh, sorts of teachings here in uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, and lie not, a, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So Paul had been set forth by, by Christ uh, as apostle of the Gentiles. It's quite different than the 12. They were sent out to Israel, right, and to the 12 tribes. Paul was sent out to the Gentiles, but he went to the Jews first just because it was appropriate to offer again to them uh, Christ Jesus as their Messiah, right? And when they rejected in the synagogues, he would then go out to the Gentiles. Now, what he preached was uh, what's summarized here in these verses. First of all, who Christ really was, right? The one mediator who paid the payment required for redemption, right? So... And that was at the very center of Paul's preaching. But secondly, who Paul was in reference to who Christ was. What had Christ made Paul to be? He made him to be preacher and apostle and teacher of the Gentiles. So um, I think there's a grand movement. It's grand in an evil sense to turn away from Paul because that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want us to go to Paul for truth. And uh, because in Paul we find out such amazing things as we're not under law, but under grace, right? <laughs> and this is indeed the dispensation of the grace of God in which we live. So Satan opposes that teaching in any way that he can. Okay, our outline today. Outline today. I hope you find it as uh, interesting as I have. First, there are four parts. First of all, men leading as God intends. This is talking very practically about the churches and their management 
their meetings and so forth. First of all, men leading as God intends, which is leadership with a testimony, leadership with a testimony, not just leadership, but leadership with a testimony for God. Secondly, women living as God intends, providing uncompromising examples, uncompromising examples of what it is to live for Christ. Thirdly, an issue in the churches, an issue in the churches, its solution defined and expressed with gravity, expressed with gravity. And secondly, as part of the same theme, an issue in the churches, its solution explained, but not without hope. And we'll see the, uh, the exhortation is a very weighty one indeed, but, uh, and challenging. But hope is the end of his message. Hope. There is hope, whatever the circumstances may be. Okay, so those are the four points today. So first of all, men leading as God intends, leadership with a testimony. Okay, to start with in our readings then, would you please read, Roy, the first verse? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Thank you, Roy. Okay, the pray, men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In this section, you have the distinction made very clearly between men and women. And that is... Uh, uh, so clear here. It's a, it's clear in the Greek language where you have, like in English as well, you have different ways of um, of saying things using different words, right? Uh, we have the general word mankind, and that of course includes women as well as men, right? But if you say men in the same section you talk about women, you're contrasting the two genders, and these are <laughs> genders uh, in Conception, not not uh, by choice. No one can choose their gender. That is the most ungodly teaching imaginable. Okay, so he says men must, in prayer, recognize the authority of Almighty God. Okay, with confidence and with with without any wrath or doubting. Apparently, the wrath there refers to uh, coming to a uh, to prayer, coming into prayer with unresolved conflict, and therefore there's wrath in the heart of the one praying. Right? Oh, that would certainly be a very negative force indeed, and it would lead to doubting. That's for sure. There wouldn't be any real confidence behind the prayer. But apparently that was the case in the church there in Ephesus where Timothy was leading and as pastor okay so so Paul knew that and so he says uh, this is how it should be done well <laughs> he's going to immediately go on and, and and talk about the women but why does he 
say what he does about the men, because he goes on then, he says that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. <laughs> I suppose it's from verses like that, that people get the idea that somehow if you are worshiping, they always use the word worship, if you're worshiping, you should have your hands held high. Oh, such is not the case. Um, that may be true, but certainly not a rule. And it doesn't indicate anything about spirituality, actually. But it does indicate something about just what's in, on people's minds, right? Um, he says that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. This is not a reference to the hardworking men of Ephesus uh, coming in from the job and washing their hands very carefully before prayer. It's not about that. In fact, <laughs> it's very clear that Paul is writing about something not external, but something internal, okay? Lifting up a holy hand. It's the hand that accomplishes the work. If the work is not godly, if the work is not honorable, then the hands are certainly not holy, okay? And so what he's really saying is that make sure that your prayers reflect uh, something very intimate in the hearts that relates you directly to the Lord God. So basically to pray with, uh, you know, everything in your being reflecting uh, honorable uh, intent. And uh, you could, we could go back to the Old Testament. In fact, we will. And Gail, I'll ask you to read these verses from Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, speak directly to this point. If you would read those for us, verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> when you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, and since is an incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make Many prayers I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Thank you, Gail. Well, that says it, doesn't it? So yes. what's holding up holy hands all about? Now you know. Wow. Now you know from the prophet Isaiah. So... These men in the church, when they prayed, uh, they were to lead in prayer in a way that was godly and that reflects a godliness in the heart, right? And therefore in life as well. And this gets directly to some personal issues that men might have and uh, might be centered very much in leadership. When men lead, I mean, are... <laughs> You know, men like to be active. They like to be in charge. They like to be uh, taking the leadership role. 
I was recently watching a video from a famous uh, mega church. Uh, I won't mention it. Uh, some of you know of it, but anyway, uh, the um, the pastor, the founder and pastor of that mega church. I was overwhelmed by the evil that I saw there in that uh, video. That um, you see him holding up his hands all the time and not in a godly way at all. So. Men need to be very careful how they pray. And here they come and pray worshipfully, indeed, and humbly submitting to the sovereignty of God. And that's what prayer is to be, uh, submission to the sovereign power of Almighty God. Okay, so uh, they have a leadership with a testimony rather than being merely leaders in a human sense. Okay, secondly, we get directly to the women. He says, women, uh, you need to live as God intends, providing an uncompromising example. An uncompromising example, meaning for others to follow. Okay, so uh, those verses, uh, Linda, would you read uh, those two verses for us? First Timothy chapter two, verses 9 and 10. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Thank you, Linda. Well, so clearly in, in the church in Ephesus, there were some who were quite well off Many, no doubt, were poor indeed. And Paul writes to that subject in other places where he talks about uh, <laughs> coming to the uh, the, sup, the Lord's uh, table and basically with uh, an abundance of food or whatever and kind of distinguishing yourself against those that don't have uh, <clears throat> and uh, cannot uh, display themselves in such fashion. So here we see that some of those who had been saved in uh, Ephesus had significant wealth, but they were not to display that. It says uh, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, we're supposed to adorn ourselves with the grace of God, according to uh, <laughs> another verse, right? But he says, adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with all of these uh, superficial things that might reveal your great wealth, but in the process reveal what's in your heart, which is not godly. Okay, so... He says, you should, your example must be uncompromising for the Lord. And then he adds in verse 10 to underscore that, which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So the issue is what's in the heart, and that's what we should display. And he says, in your meetings, make sure that uh, you display that and not something else. Again, I think this gets to uh, something more appropriate for women than for men. 
they're more focused uh, clearly on uh, looking well, not necessarily looking like these uh, in in Ephesus did, but looking well, and uh, so putting a focus on that that men might not even consider, may not even come to mind, but uh, in the process they may easily go to an extreme, and that's what he says right here, should be uh, avoided. No extremes in this area. But the whole focus is on what's in the heart coming forth. So not what's superficial, not what seems natural for men to, to, to rule over the congregation or for women to show themselves off, but rather that what God has worked in the heart would be displayed and would be displayed in a proper way. Well, that means uh, our meetings, if they're in a building, so be it. If they're in a home or whatever, but they should not be worldly. In the world, you will find exactly those things. But he said, in fact, the fashion of this world is passing away. But when the meetings of the saints are filled with rock music, hardly, hardly modified, from what you'd find in the world, uh, maybe in minor ways modified, but you know, it's found in these churches. And uh, what does it communicate? Worldliness, but who is the prince of this world, right? You know it's true. I, I, I've seen it the few times I've, I've been there in, in the midst of it, try to avoid it, but the few times I've been there, I've seen what it does encourage is not something godly. Okay, so that's the second point. Women also should live as God intends, and therefore they would have an uncompromising witness to the work of God in their hearts. Okay, thirdly, and now he gets to the uh, heart of the matter here, and uh, it's just a kind of incredible uh, how Paul addresses the subject, and there, there's something uh, in this passage that I'll leave you with in a moment, but it's it, it just kind of uh, amazing indeed to consider how Paul uh, gets to the heart of the matter here. So first of all, he's going to talk about this issue, right? This issue that was in the churches and how the solution is defined in a very weighty, heavy <laughs> he would use the word grave as he does often. So for reading those verses, Patty, would you read them for us, please? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So there's a solution to a problem. It's not a minor problem in the church at Ephesus. If it were, I think he might have just skipped over it or hardly referred to it. Instead, he goes directly to the problem at hand. He doesn't mention names. You know, sometimes Paul does. Uh, I think one reason might be there may have been quite a few women involved in this uh <laughs> takeover, this uh, coup. It was a coup 
<laughs> take over, usurping authority, he mentions in verse 12, okay? What does he say? He says, there needs to be order in the churches. And how is that order to be accomplished? Well, by women taking a proper role. Now, as you'll see as we go along here this morning, what Paul is doing is not demeaning women. In fact, that's not his purpose at all. I think his purpose is rather to exalt women, but the way he does it is most remarkable. He will go to the book of Genesis <laughs> uh, for this teaching. So he says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And uh, in other words, not to be leading the teaching. In fact, he says, I suffer not a woman to teach. So Paul doesn't consider it to be within the realm of liberty for women to teach here or there, and maybe even to, uh, to be in charge of the assembly. He says no. Uh, why? Because that position is for teaching the word of the living God. And he says, I don't allow a woman to teach, but he puts it in this context. It's not that women aren't teachers. They may be very excellent teachers. It's not that women should never teach. They certainly should. But what he says is not to usurp authority over the man. OK, but to be in silence. In other words, as he's just said, there should be a man in that position in the assembly. Right. Uh, and the woman has a different role. And so what he says here, there were women who were teaching and they were leading the assembly or trying to. And they were conflicting clearly with whoever had been put in charge. And in fact, the one in charge was Timothy. <laughs> okay, so Paul is basically instructing Timothy, you need to be firm in this matter. You can't be compromising or there, or there will not be a good resolution for the problem. The women were to be in the assembly, in the teaching part of it, in silence, okay? And not speaking out, not trying to take control, not taking the authority for themselves. This was for the sake of the order in the assembly. Now, uh, actually, you may not realize it, but the fact was that in ancient times, women didn't even have the opportunity to learn. <laughs> in the culture, they weren't even part of the learning environment, right? <laughs> but here, Paul says, oh, they're certainly part of the learning environment. In fact, they're welcome. We need them. It's just they're not to be leading the teaching meeting, okay? So you see, this isn't really putting women down the way people today might think it is. In fact, it's somewhat to the contrary, and that becomes even clearer as we go ahead. Okay, so this is all about gender, but not because one gender is subs, subs, what? subsidiary, hmm, uh, second in line, or in some way lacking. It is that 
one gender is different from the other. And that difference is critically important. It makes all the difference in the world. If these differences are ignored and the different genders encroach upon the realm of uh, opportunity and capability that the other gender uh, possesses, then there will be conflict, division, strife, and ultimately chaos, okay? For that to exist in the churches is unacceptable. Therefore, Paul strongly exhorts Timothy. But let's find out a little more about this. Um, there's another place where Paul writes about it in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verses 34 and 35. He says there, uh, in even stronger terms, I think, he says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, for they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Definitely in Corinth, there were many Jews. Some were rulers of the synagogue there in Corinth before they became believers, right? Uh, he says, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, uh, you might think that's rather harsh. Boy, he's certainly coming down on women in general there and uh, putting them into a subservient, submissive role. Well, is he really? Okay. I think the fact is he's addressing a specific situation. It wasn't only true in Corinth. Here it's true in I mean, in Ephesus, it wasn't only true there. It's also true here in Corinth. And commonly, and down through our, down to our current day, of course, as well, right? Many women will try to take authority. And the obvious effect of that in the last 100 or 200 years in this country has been cults formed by women. You all know about so-called Christian science, do you not? Uh, but there, there are many more cults that women formed as well. But Christian science is certainly one of the leading ones. I would say more cults have been formed by men than women, so it's not as if women are, are the ones um, only, but certainly they have caused much, much damage when they've gotten uh, out of the role that God intended for them. Now, Paul is going to explain this in the next verses, and this is really where we need to uh, focus here today and maybe next time as well, I think next time, because I'd like to say far more uh, than we can say just in the next five minutes. But uh, what does he say here? Well, the, there's an issue in the churches, and a solution is explained and not without hope, because at the end there needs to be hope for all, and hope for the women who have just been told they shouldn't usurp authority over the men and should be silent in the meetings. Okay, um, these verses I'll read, and then we'll move ahead. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. This is First Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Adam was first formed, then Eve. 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So Eve was in the very center of things. Now it turns out that um, when you go to Genesis, you find out, <laughs> I mean, we, we're not going to chapter two where we see God creating Eve out of Adam's side, okay? To be his complement, to be his complement, to be his, uh, his companion in life, to fulfill him in ways he could not fulfill for himself. As he created man to be incomplete. Adam was incomplete in a specific way, and Eve brought completion. Okay. But to do that, she was created different from him. And otherwise, they could not be complements, right? That's in chapter two of Genesis. And now we're in chapter three. And uh, Tom, I'd like you to read these six verses for us, if you would, please. Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall, shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Thank you, Tom. Those are the key words uh, that Paul has in his mind here as he writes that exhortation in the first letter to Timothy. Okay, Gail, would you uh, read uh, the, uh, the Pauline uh, comment on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3? But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. All right. Thank you, Gail. Thank you so much. Uh, I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay? So the serpent, who is he? This is Satan himself. The serpent in the garden was a foil, <laughs> uh, 
um, Satan himself was using the serpent. He spoke to Eve and beguiled her. In other words, he deceived her. She was deceivable more than Adam. Uh, he didn't go to Adam for this deception uh, because Adam would have rejected it. He went to Eve and she was susceptible to this particular degree of uh, lying and, and deceit. Okay, She was susceptible. Why? Because Adam was the head and she was the heart of that marriage. Okay, God had made them very different and uh, complementary. And she fell into lust for the fruit because of the lies that Satan told. Of course, Satan told uh, only a partial lie. He also spoke truth, right? But he spoke a partial lie and he twisted the truth enough that she was willing to comply and her her heart reached out to that that fruit, contrary to what Adam had instructed. Okay, so that's what's happened here. Then Adam goes along. Now Eve's transgression um, wasn't worse than Adam's. In fact, it is Adam who brought sin into this world, and not Eve. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Adam also partook of the fruit, uh, even though he was not deceived. And that made a great, great difference. So sin came upon the world and death through sin, through Adam's transgression. But he fell into the transgression through Eve, his wife, who had been deceived. Okay, so the whole point of the passage actually isn't that women are subsidiaries or in some way uh, second or lesser in ways uh, to men. That's not the point of it at all. In fact, the woman has the heart and the man has the head, and that makes a difference uh, because God has established that hierarchy. Okay, And when the roles are switched, then the work of God is thwarted. That's true in marriage. It's true in society. It's true in the churches. Okay, So that's the point of this here. Next time I want to come back to this and I want to look at what the Bible says uh, uh, with you, look together with you at what the Bible says about women uh, in the course of uh, biblical history and how God has used them in a special way and how he's used men in a special way and what kind of complementary uh, blessings God has provided to men and women in marriage. It's a wonderful subject. But now you see by looking uh, at Genesis, which is what Paul takes us back to, that there's a glorious teaching here that Paul refers to in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And that is how God created that hierarchy. He created it in the creation from the beginning. The angels, the spirit beings in heaven, there's a hierarchy there of authority, right? 
some are in charge and some are subsidiary in the sense of they're in the hierarchical order, right? Not necessarily less powerful or wise, perhaps, but not necessarily, but they're in uh, a structure that God has created. It's also true uh, in mankind. It's true in nations and so forth. That hierarchy is there because it's the only way that God's ultimate sovereignty can be properly honored, okay? For God himself is sovereign over all. Once the hierarchies that God has established below him are destroyed, the worship of the Lord God himself is also destroyed, okay? So praise God for his grace today, and I hope you've been blessed in our meeting. I've certainly been blessed in sharing with you. Are there any comments or questions before we uh, close in prayer? I think it's interesting. Uh, Rush Limbaugh has been pointing out that much of the violence in the streets are actually women. It is indeed. It's very clear, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I was thinking, you know, uh, I come from an age when women, you know, still were encouraged to make a home and have a family and a husband. Mm-hmm. And he was saying the ages of two particular women, there are women in their 30s and mm-hmm. they're out there in the streets. Uh, actually, they beat up a, a, a person of uh, held a political office, I believe, in Chicago. Mm. Uh, but, but I thought this was very interesting going back to what the scripture says about women and uh, how uh, foolish they can be. Yes, and how sad it is. And and when you saw those videos with them shaking their fists in the face of uh, uh, black policemen and calling them the worst possible names one can imagine and just going on and on and on, it just was shocking to our spirits, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it's really sad when you think of what high regard women used to be held in. Mm-hmm. Uh, as uh, mothers and homemakers, and to see what society has done to the woman in, uh, mm-hmm. I think, causing confusion and convincing women that they need uh, to have uh, a profession outside of the home, and if they choose to stay home, they're not very bright. And it demeans women, uh, and everybody probably knows it, <laughs> they're, they're their their spirits tell them it's evil, but nevertheless, they join in in some way, due, maybe due to fear uh, or being cut off of being isolated and cut off or whatever. In the families, the pressure is really great when the children then go off into these uh, these movements and the parents. Then what do they do? Huh? Yeah. Well, according, according to Rush, many of the fathers follow along behind their daughters. <laughs> Well, he's right. They do. They do. And uh, the temptation is great because you you certainly want unity in your family, don't you? But all of this, I believe, is Satan's attempt to undermine the plan of God. And, uh, you know, what we see going on in the streets of our cities today is actually to disrupt the, the rule of law and an orderly civil society that is the consequence of that. But you can see from the scriptures 
that God has an order of authority even among the persons of the Godhead, the yeah. Father mm. and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and um, in the family and, and in, in human go government and in the church um, ministry, in every aspect of our um, civil society, God lays out a plan of authority. And then you look at what's going on with the leftist anarchists in the streets and the organizers behind them. If you want anarchy in the streets and lawlessness and the destruction of the order of authority, you have to get rid of the police. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And let the prisoners out of jail because they might get COVID-19. Well, and as I, Patty and I were talking earlier today, and I mentioned that the next thing they will want erased is law. Oh, yeah. Of course, right? Starting with the Constitution. Right. And they're going to label it racist, mm -hmm. that the law is, um, and, you know, it, it institutionalizes um, white supremacy, uh, that nothing could be further from the truth. You see this uh, in these riots where private property is being destroyed or stolen, right? And, uh, and of course, that's contrary to the laws of the land, but they're being excused. Right. So we're, we're in the midst of a, of a revolution, and the people don't know it. And our, you know, the left is taking advantage of the good-heartedness of most Americans. And... Um, you know, telling, floating the continual narrative that somehow um, being white and, and standing for the rule of law is a racist issue. It's not at all. But uh, it's, I see it, and I think each of us who knows the Word of God sees it as their attempt, the attempt of Satan to undermine the orderly society laid out by God from the very beginning. Yes. Anyone else like to comment? Okay, let's let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us this morning, and may your word be written on our hearts. May we understand well what's been written, not only understand, but receive it and honor you through our reception of this precious truth. May it transform us, for all of us are uh, easily led astray still, uh, even with the knowledge that we have. So, Father, I pray that your grace would operate powerfully in us, that we might bring forth fruit and that the fruit might honor and glorify you. Now and forever, we would ask it. Uh, please deliver us from the evil one and our nation as well in these difficult times. And please protect us from the threats around us, some as close and invisible, perhaps, as this, uh, this virus. Many are still infected and some die, in fact, more, far more than we imagined ever could so father we just uh, would look to you for your uh, your love and your grace may it abound in and through us in christ's precious and holy name and amen and amen, amen.